Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. That is the reason why people don't see their need to come to Jesus. They have no clue to how big that debt is that they owe God. Many of you during this time of year will go in debt. I know that by statistics, that during this time of year, people like to go Christmas shopping, and they set a budget that they never stick to, and they begin to get into the stores, and they say, oh, and as we're going through the store, we buy things we didn't intend on buying. I mean, really? How are you going to pass up a deal like that? A $50 sweater for 10 bucks? See? <laughs> How many know this is a $50 sweater? Yeah, it isn't. <laughs> it's a $10 sweater on sale for a dollar. But we go in and we rack up debt and we begin to rack up debt that we didn't plan on racking up. But the stats also say that most of the people that go into debt during the holiday season through shopping too much will eventually work their way out of it during the next year. That is, if they don't go too crazy, they'll work out of it the next year and they'll be okay. They'll be debt free until Christmas comes around again and they begin to shop again. But the debt that we had we could never work out of. And if you have credit cards and you don't pay that debt long enough, the creditors show up and they're going to start repoing. They're going to start to shut you down. And if you don't pay the bill on your house, they're going to repossess your house. If you don't pay the debt on your car, they're going to repossess your car. And that's become so intriguing that there's even a reality show now about repossessing cars. And so the creditors will close in because they're owed that money. There's no way of getting around it. But yet people have a hard time understanding the debt that's owed to God and thinking that it's not going to get called to the carpet one day. That He isn't going to call in the note. That He isn't going to close the doors and that's it but the debt is going to be called to the carpet one day for those who have never ever trusted Christ and that's why Colossians is so important because Colossians speaks in chapter 2 about not the festivals and not the celebrations and not the sacrifices that were made in the Old Testament that could possibly take away the debt but the cross, the work on the cross, it says in verses 13 to 14, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. That's the only way that the debt could ever get paid because it's deep. You're talking sin now. You're not talking finances. You're talking 
offenses against a holy God, which you and I are guilty of every day, which you and I continually break the infractions of God's laws, maybe not intentionally, but unintentionally. And so that debt just keeps getting racked up, racked up, racked up, racked up, racked up. And there's going to be one day where the creditor is going to call the note to the carpet. The necessity of what Jesus provided was so important because it's the only thing that can cancel the debt. The only thing. The sacrifice that He made. It's not just the debt that He paid, but the sacrifice that He made. In John chapter 15, verses 13 to 14, it says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Hebrews 10, 12 through 14 says... But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the whole idea of Hebrews is the Old Testament sacrifices that were repeated over and over and over again could never take away the sins of people. It only put them on a layaway plan. Until Jesus showed up, died on the cross, and wiped out the dead. He nailed it to the cross. If a sacrifice wasn't needed, God would have never sent His Son. If a sacrifice wasn't needed, there wouldn't have been no Christmas. If a sacrifice wasn't needed... Jesus wouldn't have lived a life of rejection and isolation and loneliness at times to die a humiliating death on the cross. But it was needed. That's why when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and He was praying, Father, if it's possible, 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 if it's possible, possible, let this cup pass. He's talking about the wrath that He was going to endure on the cross. If it's possible, And because he went to the cross, the answer was given. The answer was given. The father said, no, son, it's not possible. It's impossible to let this cup pass. It's impossible to let this cup pass. There was no other way than through the sacrifice of Christ. And it makes me magnify God all the more and love Jesus all the more when I realize that he willingly laid his life down, that that was the only way, the only way was through the sacrifice his blood shed on the cross. It makes me praise God for all eternity that he went ahead with it, that he gave his son. There was another way the cross would have been circumvented. If there was another way where God didn't have to break into humanity and live a sinless life, born of a virgin, seed of the Holy Spirit, there would have been a plan B and a plan C and a plan D. Or a door one, door two, door three. Father, the suffering I'm going to endure, let's go with door number two. Okay, son, we'll make that the plan of salvation. No, that wasn't even on the table. It was only plan A and there was no plan B, no plan C or plan D. It was plan A, plan A, plan A. Sacrifice. And that's why when the wise men bring the gifts, they just don't recognize 
Jesus' kingship by giving him gold, the symbol of deity, and it isn't just representing his priesthood by giving him frankincense that the priests used in the temple during their prayer times. Speaking of Jesus interceding for us evermore, but it was also giving him myrrh, which was used for embalming people, because right from his birth it was pointing to his death. Sacrifice. Daddy paid the sacrifice he made, but the necessity is even seen in the table that he laid. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this in verses 23 to 26, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then here's the clincher. Verse 26 says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It is so necessary that Jesus left a memorial service for the church to be reminded that he died at a moment in history. This is what's known as the Lord's Supper. He laid the table. Many of you are doing that right now. You're preparing for guests for Christmas. You're going to have family come in from out of town. Some you want, some you don't, but you have to endure it. You're going to have them over for dinner probably, or maybe you're going to somebody else's house. I see the way that Griselle made our table. If you walk in, you would see red for Christmas and checkered placemats and candles and everything else and she laid it beautifully but also there will be a dinner we gave up the turkey and ham years ago and we started eating italian homemade spaghetti and meatball and no you can't come over for dinner it's not we don't have enough uh, <laughs> but it, homemade italian food so griselle makes my mother's recipe on spaghetti and everything else and 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 that dinner table is important for us. My father's 96. It's even becoming more important. He's not just an Italian. He's a saved Italian now. But to gather around the table is where our deepest moments of fellowship and intimacy take place. It's important that we set it just right. And we spend a lot of time there on Christmas with the family around the table. But the table that Jesus laid was simple. There was nothing flamboyant about it. There was nothing so beautiful about it. It was simple. It was bread and it was wine. Or juice. Fruit of the vine. I have to clarify things here because a lot of people take what I say and they twist it and say, Pastor Walt said to go have communion by buying a bottle of wine. And no, no, no. That... It's fruit of the vine. By the way, just for your information, when Noah came out, Noah Webster with his dictionary, the first word for wine is grape juice, if you look it up in his first dictionary. So you don't need to be drinking the fermented stuff. But it's simple. It's the bread and the juice. The bread representing his body and the juice. Fruit of the vine representing his blood. 
that was shed. That's it. That's it. That's the Lord's Supper. But what significance and power that contains. Because the whole purpose he implemented that is that we wouldn't forget the death that took place. Christmas is wonderful. Christmas is a blessing. We celebrate the arrival of Jesus, but you can't detach it from His death. Because that's why He came. That's why He came. So, turn to 2 Corinthians with me. I want to talk just for a moment on the generosity of the King's provision. 2 Corinthians Uh, Turn to chapter 8, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and many of you know that that as you're reading through 2 Corinthians, you get into 8 and 9, and really what the Apostle Paul is trying to inspire the church in Corinth at doing is to carry forward with the offering that they had committed. The church in Jerusalem was suffering because they didn't have what the other churches had. If you remember on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out, you had Jews from all over the world and they got saved and they didn't go home. They stayed because there was nothing to go home to. They weren't going home to a job. They weren't going home to family because they realized the cost that they were having to pay for proclaiming Christ as Lord. So the church in Jerusalem is suffering and what Paul called the Gentile churches to was to support the mother church because it was suffering. That this is a needy church and you have to respond. They're brothers and sisters in Christ and they're suffering right now because of a lack of resources. So step up to the plate and follow through with it. The churches in Macedonia were overly generous, Paul says. He said that in their poverty they were giving way beyond. So when God recognizes gifts, by the way, it isn't so much the amount of the gift, it is the sacrifice that's required in giving it. I mean, if Bill Gates wrote a million dollar check to Christ Community, in fact, we're online right now, Bill Gates, if you're listening, we could take that check and we'll use it for good things, okay? So if he wrote a million dollar check to us today, that wouldn't be a sacrifice because he's worth billions, But we've had pennies and dimes and quarters in an offering before. There was a homeless guy that would come to Kitchen with a Mission one day, and he came in, and he was here on a Sunday morning service, and I was back. It was in the old sanctuary, so I was back over here. He was leaving, and as he was leaving, he gave me an envelope, and he said, here, Pastor, I want to thank you for the kitchen that you guys open up every Friday night. And I opened it, and there was two $1 bills in there. And this is a homeless guy. He literally, he was living on the streets, but God honored that as a sacrificial gift, like the widow with the two mites. Goes to the temple, and and here's a widow. You can see her in her tattered clothes, whatever. She had nobody to care for. And Jesus is there with his disciples, and all these rich people are coming, and they're giving out of their abundance. And the Bible says they gave a lot, but it says they gave out of their abundance. Then this lady comes up. Two mites wouldn't even equal a penny with today's denomination. She throws in less than a penny, two mites. And as she does that, Jesus says, that's the woman. They gave right. Why? 
Because Jesus said she gave out of her livelihood. In other words, she gave all she had. She didn't even know probably where she was going to get her next meal. She just trusted God. So when God looks at giving, and that's why you do it in light of Christ. When we give, we give cheerfully because we see what God gave us. He didn't withhold anything. He gave it all. And abundantly gave it. And so, we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, what Paul's going to do is inspire the church in Corinth. There's no better way to inspire somebody than to give them an example, right? So, he gives them an example in verse 9. He says, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become rich. These are one of these foundational verses. You know, you're reading the Bible, man, there's some that just are so foundational and you can drill deep, 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 deep with it. And this is one of those verses. What he does is he says, look, giving shouldn't be an issue because look what Jesus did. That you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that word grace is the word charis in the Greek, and it was used in non-Christian writings back then to mean generosity, gratitude, gracefulness, and beauty. That was the multifaceted meaning of charis, but in this context, we know it's speaking of generosity. That's the meaning. Context determines the meaning of the word. And so it says this, if you were to replace it, for you know the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. In order to understand how poor Jesus became, you have to understand how rich he is. When it says he was rich, it's referring to his unlimited pre-existence with God in glory. So when you're talking about the riches, we read about the king in Psalm 47 owns all the earth. And this is speaking of his pre-existence in that state before he became man. We got to sometimes contemplate that because we grow up thinking that when Jesus awoke in Bethlehem, that's when it all got started. It didn't all get started then. It got started before he became man in his pre-existence with the Father and the Holy Spirit in perfect communion. That's what this verse is saying. He said, saying, wait a minute, it didn't start in Bethlehem when he became poor. You have to back up. He was rich then. He was rich. He was rich. So, We all love those stories of rags to riches where we read the story of a guy who comes out of hard times and hard places and he grew up in an environment maybe that wasn't conducive to success but against all odds he beats all the odds and he becomes something in life and gets an education, becomes successful in business, owns a big multi-billion dollar corporation or something. And we love reading those stories because they're rags to riches. Here was a poor guy who became rich. But with Jesus, it was 
riches to rags. It wasn't rags to riches. It was riches to rags. He became poor. And to understand that, Jesus was rich beyond your imagination, beyond my imagination. We could never fully understand how rich Jesus was. But it would be like a painter becoming a stroke in one of his paintings. A brush stroke. Or it would be like a playwright becoming a character in one of his plays that he wrote or produced. And he leaves everything, what he had with the Father, to come. And for some people, it's easier to imagine to take the oceans and put them in a thimble than it is to imagine God who's omnipresent and all-powerful to become a man. And yet that's what he did. That's what it's speaking of when he became poor. Jesus is rich in his person. He's the second person of the Trinity. He enjoyed perfect communion with the Father and the Son from eternity past. He's rich in his possessions. His resources were unlimited. Jesus is rich in his power. His power is unlimited. And Jesus is rich in his position. He is king. He is king over everything. I like what John 1.3 says, we know what John 1.1 1, 1 says, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then in verse 3, speaking of Jesus, it says, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was not a created being. All of creation comes from Him. All things were made for Him, by Him, through Him, every river that flows that you see, every mountain that stretches to the skies was created by Him. When you look at every planet that's discovered, it was created by Him. He owns it all. That's the extent of His riches. He owns it all. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of Your hands. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10. Who is this Jesus? What do you mean he was rich? Well, you can start by saying he owns everything. He owns everything. All of us know what rich is to some extent, right? We used to look at Warren Buffett and Bill Gates as being, you know, the top dogs on the ladder, the financial ladder. And, you know, Bill Gates, I think, is worth $81 billion today. Warren Buffett, I think, is worth $84 billion, the latest reports say, at least in September. But, you know, the dude from Amazon, Bezos, he's worth $155 billion. Now that's rich. That's rich, isn't it? You're not talking just $80 billion. You're not talking just $90 billion. You're talking now breaking the $100 billion mark for the first time in history, and him... Amazon owner is worth $155 billion today. That's pretty rich. But do you know it pales in comparison to the riches that Jesus has? Because every breath that Bessos takes is a gift from God. The brain he used to make it where he is is a gift from God. The health that he has today to get up and go to work and work hard is a gift from God. And Jesus exceeds anything that you possibly could imagine as far as riches. Psalm 19.1, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. That's how rich He is. 
So you go home and figure it out. What does it cost to buy a planet? <laughs> People are into buying islands, right? They make a billion dollars and that becomes the trend. Oh, I think I'll just buy an island. What does it cost to buy Pluto? <laughs> what does it cost to buy Saturn? I mean, think about that for a moment. He owns it all. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.